Philippians, wouldn't you guess? And we are in Philippians chapter 3 together today. Philippians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, go down to verse 17, and we're going to look at verses 17, 18, and 19 together today. I will tell you that the sermon for today is going to be somewhat abbreviated. Yep, believe it or not. It's going to be somewhat abbreviated um, because we're going to put some of these things into practice that we're reading about today. But then also, uh, verses 17, 18, and 19 are directly connected to uh, 20, 21, and then also chapter 4, verse 1. And so, see this week and next week as kind of a continuation of the same sermon, okay? But that being said, let's look at verse 17 together. Brothers, of course this means brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Okay, so if you've been with us coming through the book of Philippians, uh, this may seem strange to you that Paul all of a sudden says, now, having said what I just said, imitate me. Because what has Paul just told us? That he's not perfect. That he has not yet reached the pinnacle of maturity in Christ himself. He has just admitted, I have a ways to go. But then he says, now, that being said, do it like I do it. You know, imitate me. See me as your example. That might seem odd to us right? You might wonder or ask the question, um, is, is Paul here, it seems, because actually some secular people who study the scriptures would say here, Paul is creating the cult of Paul. But here he says, oh, you know, do it like I do it. Just, I'm the, I'm the guy now. Jesus was the guy before. I'm the guy now. Follow me. But Paul makes a pretty clear point. Uh, I'm just going to read it. From, he does this in a couple places, but 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13, for example. This is the same guy, Paul. Listen to what he says to the church in Corinth. It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. He's, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? This is Paul talking. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he clearly does not want the cult of Paul. He does not want to be a cult leader. This is not him saying, hey, all the churches that I'm founding are being founded in the name of Paul. Follow me. Be examples of me. Imitate me and what I'm doing. Now, at the same time, he is saying, imitate me, but what is he saying in context? The same as he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I 
am of Christ. Uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me so far as I am imitating Christ. Now, that concept makes sense to us, right? Tell me, do you know churches that are built upon following an individual? Is that a common practice in our day? If, if, many of you said yes. If you didn't know that, that is true. There are many churches built today up around a particular personality. Follow me. Do what I do. I'm giving you permission, okay? I'm giving you permission that if, if ever I, I create some kind of cult of Eric, okay? You have every right for all of you to stand up immediately and boot me out, okay? Just a bunch of you just get to. It won't take much because I'm really weak, okay? It'll take one person. It'll take one person to grab me and pull me out the door. This is not about following a person. This is about following the God-man, Jesus Christ. And what Paul is telling the church is, imitate me so far as I am imitating Christ, and in this, I am giving you a good example. I am, I am seeing myself here because Paul, he was taught by Jesus Christ himself. He was one made an apostle, as he said, and an, un, and an un, untimely apostle, right? He became an apostle afterwards. And so he was taught by Jesus, and uh, he has a sense of confidence. I learned from Jesus. And Jesus taught me to walk in this way. And he has told me to teach you to walk in this way. Watch me as I do what Jesus has taught me. Now, I'm not going to do it perfectly. But listen to what I'm telling you. Follow my example. Imitate me so far as I'm imitating Christ. Another thing he is really helping us to see is that the Christian life is one that is not meant to be lived in seclusion. Tell me, all you introverts, would you like your Christian life to be lived in seclusion? I know that many of you would because I know you. I know you. Enough with all this already. Just, just me and God, me and the Bible. Just leave me alone. All this other stuff I could, you know, it is what it is. Fair enough. But it's not what God has called us to. Right? We know, I think we know that. But we have to be aware that sometimes that struggle persists in us. Because he doesn't only say, follow me and follow those who walk according to the example that I have given. Do you know examples matter in your life? Do you know that? Paul has already hinted at this back in, if, you, if you're in Philippians 3, just look back at chapter 1, just for a second. Just a couple of verses. Verses 27 through 30 in chapter 1. Look at what he says right there. See if you find a parallel. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I'm absent, 
I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, and here it is, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What is he telling them to do? To live their life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus in the same way that he is. He's giving them a real life example. I'm in prison, I'm suffering, but here I am proclaiming the gospel and I am saying before you, it has been granted to us that we suffer for his name. Join in with me. Suffer with me. Follow my example of suffering. And this is exactly what he's telling the church. Do it like me. And I'm, not, I'm not doing it perfectly, but here we are in this life. What are we to do? What examples are we to follow? Follow Paul in his life. It's almost as if he's saying, see the outcome of my way of life and see how I'm handling these very real life situations and handle them the way that I'm handling them. See me doing it and you do it. Follow my example. Here's what it looks like. Examples help, don't they? You know, I think I assemble stuff, you know, somewhat regularly. You ever bought something at the store and you have to assemble it? And you read the instructions. Sometimes, right? Sometimes I read the instructions, but I have learned over time, I don't, I, don't, I don't read the instructions. But what I do when Amanda is present is I say, will you read the instructions out loud and I'll put it together. I'm not, I, I follow, I, or I'll, I'll just look at the picture. I see the parts, I see the end result, I can get it there. And sometimes, sometimes it works, right? But you know what's really helpful? To see an example of what it's supposed to look like. I have the instructions, but you know what's really helpful? To see it all put together, right? We have the instructions before us and we have the teaching, but you know what's really helpful? To see what it's supposed to look like. And this is what Paul was to them, but he was not the only example in their life. And so he continues. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, when he says us here, who do we think he means? Well, ultimately, it's just going to be Paul and his associates. At the time, it would have been Timothy those who walk according to the example. I want to take you for a second, just for a moment, to the book of 2 Thessalonians. And what we're going to see is that the example is a way of living that reflects sound doctrine. And you might say, well, well I already kind of guessed that. That's pretty easy. The, the example is a way of living. You see here that the example is actually like real life. It's practical. It's on the ground level. It's what we do. And many times, isn't this what we need help with? I get 
the theology. But what does that look like? What is a lived theology? What does that mean day to day? I need an example to follow. We have examples to follow, and you know what? You should be an example to follow. That we might help one another being examples to them. Here's how you do it. If you're there, 2 Thessalonians 3, just a few verses. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, command you in the name of Jesus. This is pretty strong language, right? That you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to, here's a word, the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. So do you see a link already between tradition and imitation? We handed down to you a tradition. And what you're supposed to do is keep in step with that tradition. You're to imitate it. Imitate us and the principles that we're teaching you how to live. But he gives us, he gives us an example here, an example of an example. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the examples here in this situation. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give ourselves as an example to imitate. Do you see it? So Paul and Silas and Timothy were among them, and they thought we are leaders, we are examples, and we could come into the church and say, hey, we have every right to say, give us what we are worth. Because the scriptures say over and over that a worker is worth his wages and that those who preach the gospel ought to give their living by the gospel. And so it's good to pay those who are preaching the gospel to them. But he's saying we had every right to demand that you do so, but we didn't so that you might learn from our example. And our example is this, when we came, we didn't just say, hey, give us a free handout. We worked for our food. And he says, likewise, follow our example. If someone is saying, I don't have money to eat. I don't have money to eat. Make them work. That's the example. Some of you liked that. I, we <laughs> make them work for their money. But what about those who cannot work? have mercy and grace on them and give to cases of need. That's the church. And we have an example in scripture of how to do that. Are we thankful for that example? They knew that they should be living examples of the principles of the word of God. And this is how a principle of the word of God works itself out in reality. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them so that they might be ashamed. That's an example for us to follow. It's also a command of scripture. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother and the way you warn them is by letting them be ashamed. Right? So it's just an example. It's a way of living that reflects sound doctrine. Are examples helpful? Absolutely. We need examples. And guess what? What I'm saying to you is this this morning. 
Whether you realize it or not, you are in search of examples all day long. You want to know how to live. You want to know what is right. How should we be doing this? How should I handle this? How should I dress? How should I think about that? You are looking for examples all over the place. Whether you're conscious of it or not is a different story. But what else were they to look to? We have the New Testament scriptures. Would the church of Philippi had an exhaustive set of, of, of 27 books of the New Testament that they could just flip open and read? You know the answer to this. The answer is no. I mean, the letter of Philippians was hot off the press. I mean, it was brand new to them. No other church had the letter to the Philippians yet. They would soon, though, wouldn't they? But what other example were they to look to to how to live this life? You know, Paul was flesh and blood. He was there among them. They knew Paul. They had a relationship with the man Paul, and so he was an example to them. But here's something else he knew, is that I'm not there with you right now, and I know that you're going to have examples, and so keep your eyes on these kind of examples. What kind of examples? Well, he says, those who walk according to the example you have in us. You're going to have examples in your life that you imitate. Make sure they're the right ones. What other kind of examples would the church in Philippi have had? That's a good question for us to ask because it helps us in applying what he means. So I'd like to show you here something called the Ignatian Way. And this is our map for Philippians. This is the map I introduced to you at the beginning of the book of Philippians. And, and whether you can read the actual names up there, it's, it's okay that you can't. Uh, but what this is, is you see a, a blue line. Do you see the blue line? And you notice that on this continent here, or we, we, this land mass, I should say, uh, it's, it's stretching from one end to the other. Do you see it? It's stretching from one end to the other. And you have a city on the far left. You have a city on the far right. The city on the far right is Byzantium, uh, which you should know the name of that city, very famous city. And so um, where is Philippi in this whole mess on this? Uh, Philippi is right smack dab in the middle of between these two cities. There it is right there. Now, what's important about this road, this road uh, was built around 140 BC, and it was built because Rome was, uh, had just conquered new lands. But they didn't have an easy way to get to the new lands that they had conquered. And so what they did is they built a road, and that road was called the Ignatian Way. And you see that it goes over the ocean there, or over, over the water, that leads to Rome. So really, you're going from Rome to Byzantium in one straight line. You had to take a boat for part of the way. It's the best way you could get there. It was a straight line through all the territory that Rome had just accomplished to connect two ends of their world. This was a very important road. It was used for many, 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 many years. It was used by Paul in his travels, in his missionary journey. Why is this road important? Because the road went right through Philippi. Actually, I have a picture of that. The road still exists in part. This is Philippi today, and here is part of that road. You see the stones laid there? Doesn't look great today. We have better roads than that today, but this road is pretty old. It's over 2,000 years old. 
they would use stones. They would actually use recycled stones. Something that's really interesting is they would actually recycle gravestones and put them in the middle of the road. That's kind of strange, isn't it? But this is the road that they made. A prime location for travelers. This is the way you traveled. And when you traveled and you came to a place such as Philippi, what would you be seeking? Rest. And where would you stay? It was very common to stay in people's homes. Remember in Acts 16, we talked about the beginning of the church in Philippi. It says in Acts 16, 15, after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, come and stay at my house. Do you remember that? And then again, the Philippian jailer brought Silas and Paul where? To his home to stay. It was a common practice in Philippi to invite travelers into your home to stay. Especially for the Christian community, anyone that was calling themselves a Christian, they would invite into their home and stay. And what would they do with this person? They would entertain them and they would learn from them. They would become examples to them. Here's what we're doing in our part of the world. Oh, I've never heard of that. I didn't know people did that. I didn't know we believed that. Oh, this is new information to me. Be careful about the examples you set in front of you. Be careful about who you invite into your home. Be careful about what you see as good. Be careful what you imitate. That's the call to us, right? Here's the simple message. Christians must consider what they are imitating. Are you considering this moment what you're imitating? This is a very simple concept, but it has very, very uh, (laughs) deep roots in us because we do things, say things, dress a certain way, drive a certain car, go to certain schools. Why? at the core of it is because we're imitating someone or something. What about the music you listen to? What about the shows that you watch? We have examples set before us, don't we? What kind of examples are you following in your life? Are you sure they're the right ones? Let's look at verse 18 for an identification of these people. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. For, here's the reason why you need to be careful to set your eyes on good examples and not bad examples. Here's the reason, because many of whom I told you and I've often told you and even now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are these many? Who are the people that he's referencing? Unbelievers? They're an enemy of the cross of Christ. Does that identify a believer or an unbeliever? It's definitely not a believer. In no way whatsoever can believers ever be enemies of the cross of Christ. So they're unbelievers. But what makes him say this with tears is because they used to profess Christ and now it has become plain that they are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. And so he tells them with tears, why would this affect your example? 
Well, we have four sets of examples for us to follow. All of your examples in your entire life fit into one of these categories. Non-Christians, fake Christians, immature Christians, or mature Christians. Your examples fall into one of these categories. Non-Christians, should we follow non-Christians by means of example? No. Should we follow fake Christians? Oh, that, that looks good, what you guys are doing over there. I mean, we don't need to have the purple flame discussion again, right? I mean, that, what, what are we supposed to do here? How are we supposed to live the Christian life? Oh, I have an idea. Let's do it like this. Of course we don't do that. But here's the thing about fake Christians. And the very thing that Paul is telling them right now is that sometimes you can't tell the difference. And what you end up doing is following the example of someone who calls themselves Christian when in fact they are not, and you just picked up on the things they're doing, but they're not even Christians. But they said they were. Okay. Tell me, have you ever met someone that called themselves a Christian but you know was not? If you think no, then your eyes have not been opened to the reality that there are fake Christians in the world. Not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. Our, our religion is not that. It is not something that you just like, oh, religion, uh, Christianity best defines me. And you check the box. That is not who we are. We are Christians by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be careful about the examples that are set before us because there are some who come in your midst and give you an example to follow and then soon they're gone, but now the practice that they gave you is stuck within your midst. And now you're doing what a fake Christian did and you think that's what Christians should do. Be careful about the examples set before you. This is our call from Paul. There are many who could be examples to you. Are you looking at the right ones? Pretty simple question to consider this morning, right? How do I know what the right ones are? Well, we can perceive that from Scripture. Is someone's life adding up to Scripture? Or are they a believer and they're bearing fruit in their life and they are a mature believer? Tell me, should we follow the ex all the examples of immature Christians? I look at someone who's been a Christian for two days and I see what they're doing and I think, well, I, I mean, if Christians can do that, I'm going to do that. I, I like that. I used to do that and they're doing it, so I follow their example. I'm just following the example of Christians. You get the idea though, right? I don't, we don't just look to anyone who says, I'm a Christian and we follow what they're doing, but... What about in these areas of life application and we look to mature Christians and we say, what are they doing? How are they handling this? What do they think about this? And there's wisdom in that. Proverbs tells us there, there is wisdom in an abundance of counselors, but wisdom comes from where? From a fear of God. We need to be careful about the examples we've set before us that it's coming from scripture, it's coming from mature Christians. Not only that, are you being an example to those around you? Are you growing up in such a way that you're growing into maturity and you say, Dude, 
I don't do everything perfectly and I don't do this perfectly, but you know what the Lord has taught me through this? I'll tell you what I've done. Let me share with you how I've handled that in my faith. Are you being an example? Are you being a godly example? Here's a challenge for you. Are you being a godly example to anyone in your life? Are you helping anyone? Are you getting to know people and knowing their struggles and bearing with them and being a godly example to them and how to live their life? You should be. You should want to for the joy that it brings. You should want to. Finally, look at verse 19 with me this morning. Again, we're classifying this group of examples. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and their minds are set on earthly things. You see the stark contrast here, right? Here it is. Here's a list of of what's being said about this group of people, these bad examples. Their end is destruction. These people are living and should they remain unbelievers, their end is destruction. And you want to be like them? You want to be like someone whose end is destruction. You want to you mimic that? You want to imitate what they're doing? Okay. Their God is their belly. What they worship is their own appetite. And you want to be like them? You want to imitate them? No. They glory in their shame. That is, the things they are most proud of is what they ought to be most shamed for. And you want to be like that? You want to imitate that? Their minds are set on earthly things. Well, we live on earth, right? I mean, what should we be thinking about? Here's, here's if, we, if we take these descriptions and we flip them into what they should be, here's what it would look like. Our end is glorification. Our end is not destruction. Our end is to be glorified. Our end is eternal life, not to be destroyed. So we ought to live differently than them. Our God is God. (laughs) That's an easy one, isn't it? I mean, who do you worship? God, not myself and my own appetites. We glory in Jesus Christ. And our minds are set on heavenly things, not on earthly things. So tell me, if you look at these two descriptions, what examples are you best following? Are you following someone whose example before you is that they are living and they are living the glorified life now because they, they, they know that one day they're going to be glorified completely. They're seeking to grow in maturity. Someone who worships God genuinely, who is glorying in Jesus Christ and not in themselves, whose mind is not set on earth, but his mind is set in heaven, where Christ is. That's where our minds should be. That's what we should be following. And this is exactly, if, we just, if you just glance there with your eyes, that, that's where our text is headed, isn't it? Our citizenship is in heaven. See, we're, our minds aren't set here on earth. Our minds should be set in heaven. We're going today to practice 
two traditions handed down to us by Jesus himself. We're going to imitate the faith. We're going to follow the Lord in the Lord's Supper, which he said to do, and we're going to follow the Lord in baptism, which he told us to baptize disciples. I have uh, two texts for you this morning that I'd like to read, one in reference to baptism and the other in reference to the Lord's Supper. Listen to the words of Colossians 2, 6 through 12. Just as you received Christ Jesus in the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up, established in the faith, just as you were taught. Do you see that there are examples set before us and we need to follow in their footsteps? Do you see it? Abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. But we do have tradition, but it's not human tradition. These two things we're doing this morning are are traditions. Taking the Lord's Supper, baptism, these these are the traditions of the faith. But they're not empty things, things that we created. These are things that the Lord instituted in the church. But we should be careful of any traditions that creep in that are not of the Lord and that are human traditions. And the way that human traditions creep in is because we're following wrong examples. Look at the modern church today. It looks like a concert venue. What example are they following? Hey, it works. It's good for business. It gets the people in. It keeps them happy. It brings money in. The world got it figured out. I don't know why God can't get it together. What example are you following? We need to be careful of that, right? For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We are baptizing someone today in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Spirit. And that person is going to be raised to life not by their own works, not by my hands bringing them out of the water, not by themselves bringing themselves out of the water. The water is a symbol of something that's already happened internally. A person who is baptized has already come to faith in Christ. A person who is baptized is showing the community, I once was dead and now I'm alive in Jesus Christ. I once had all my sin laid on myself and now I've been washed of that and all my sin was laid on Jesus. We're taking the Lord's Supper today. 1 Corinthians 11.2 Now I command you, because you remember me in everything, maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Now this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth again. A few verses later, he begins to talk about the Lord's Supper as being a tradition that he handed down to the church. He says, for what I received from the Lord, I delivered to you, that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And so Paul has taken this 
from Jesus himself and delivered it to the church. Here's the example to follow. Do this. And so give God glory with it. And so when we take the Lord's Supper today, the Lord's Supper is for those who have already had faith in Jesus Christ and therefore can come and rejoice in the fact that Christ's body was broken for them, Christ's blood was shed for them, and they get to rejoice in that reality, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remember what Christ did on the cross and remember that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. These are the traditions of the church. These are the ordinances of the church, and they are good. They have been delivered to us by Jesus himself. And they don't come without instruction. So we are wise to both look at the example and follow the instructions, right? Not to just see what it is and figure out our own way to do it, which I've been part of many churches that that was the thing. They saw the picture and they figured out their own way to get there. But they left a bunch of parts out. It wasn't right. We follow the instructions. We look at the end result. And this is following the example that God has set before us in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. And so we are the Lord's church. We do as he commanded. And this is what we're doing in celebration together. And so uh, Allison's going to sing a song for us today for the Lord's Supper. And... Uh, Anytime during that song, uh, you can feel free to come and take of the Lord's Supper. And uh, I, I want to encourage you also because Scripture warns us to examine ourselves before we come and take the Lord's Supper. Uh, the, Lord, the, the Scriptures do speak about judgment coming on a person who has unrepented sin in their life. And this is for the believer, uh, the, the unrepented sin in their life. And right now is an example to admit that sin to God and to confess that with your mouth to believe in your heart that he has forgived us, uh, forgiven us and cleansed us of sin. And we have faith that God is a good God who loves us and will forgive us in the name of Jesus Christ. So just because you have sin in your life doesn't mean this is not for me and I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna be stubborn about it and I'm just gonna sit. It, it means take this opportunity to confess that sin to God and then in rejoicing, because you've received the mercy of God in Christ, come and take the Lord's Supper. That's what it means.